Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. The philosophy behind this podcast is really to help you make a positive impact every day. And one of the biggest things that allows businesses to make impact is great leadership. And so when we talk about leadership, it's important to start with the definition. What exactly is leadership? And as I was thinking about this, it took me to a couple of quotes that I think capture this idea really, really well. John Maxwell put it very simply when he said, leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And then if we extend to um, really distinguishing between what management is and what leadership is, they're two very different things. Peter Drucker, the thought leader said, management is doing things right leadership is doing the right things. So with that in mind, I'm really excited to have our guest, VJ Bellamore, join us today. And before I get into introducing VJ and jumping into this idea of how leaders can lead well in times of change and organizations can succeed in times of change, I wanted to remind everyone, if you like this podcast, please take a moment to go out to Apple Podcasts and rate and review. It's a way to really spread awareness of uh, the content and the ideas that we're sharing. And I really, really appreciate that. So thanks in advance for doing that. So let's turn our attention to VJ. VJ and I worked together in the wireless industry much earlier in our careers. And one of the things that is really, really amazing about VJ is just the global perspective that he brings into this conversation. He has demonstrated success over five industries in very culturally diverse and challenging environments in the US, in Asia Pacific, Europe, Middle East, Africa, and South Asia. During his professional career that has spanned over 30 years, Vijay has built a comprehensive portfolio of experience across a number of disciplines, including human resources, information technology resource management, change management, major account sales management, and total quality. BJ has had several senior leadership positions in leading edge organizations in the US, Middle East, and India. He's held senior human resources and information technology leadership roles at leading wireless companies such as US West, AirTouch Vodafone, AT&T Wireless, and Nextel Communications. VJ also held a key leadership role at Harris Caesars Entertainment, And during his tenure in the wireless industry and at Harris and Caesars, he led numerous change initiatives that resulted from the many mergers and acquisitions that were part of the evolving industries here in the United States. His leadership in these change efforts was characterized by very seamless transitions, enhanced productivity, and the preservation of critical talent, all things that are very, very important in going through those kinds of organizational transitions. In addition, 
he has implemented innovative programs to enhance the cultural attributes critical to achieving organizational strategy and goals. Vijay was also the Senior Vice President and Global Head of Human Resources at Assurian Corporation, the world leader in technology protection services for the wireless industry. Vijay is an acknowledged innovator, a thought leader in business strategy, human resources strategy, and has developed and implemented breakthrough strategies and approaches by leveraging a multidisciplinary set of experiences in very diverse organizational environments. Vijay has also made major contributions on the academic side of things. He serves as a guest faculty member at selected academic institutions. He's a mentor for the EMBA cohort and special advisor, executive education at the McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University, and is also a senior advisor for the Young Professionals for International Affairs in Washington, D.C. So with that as a backdrop, and Vijay beaming live from Bellevue, Washington, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks for that uh, glowing introduction. I'm beginning to re-recognize some talents in myself. I did not realize that you had such a comprehensive understanding of my entire chronology of experiences, of much of which <laughs> I have forgotten myself. So, yeah, thank you for having me on this podcast. You know, it's it's great because, as I, as I said, you and I worked together uh, in the wireless industry, and we worked together at a time when the industry itself was undergoing tremendous growth. It was very dynamic, a lot of change, changing business practices, changing behaviors. So there was an aura of excitement, but an element of the unknown. And we are living today in times where there are also a lot of unknowns. Uh, there's a lot of change in the air, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it'd be a good time to take a perspective on what some of those major changes we currently experiencing are and what are some of the implications? Uh, great question, Dan. And as you put it, uh, perfectly well-timed. Uh, but before we actually get into some of the major changes we're experiencing, a couple high-level thoughts. Um, you know, you've heard the refrain, change is the only constant. It's a common refrain heard over many years in organizations of every type. Leaders have repeatedly called for effective change management to ensure that promised outcomes from changes are realized. Also, leaders who have gained public acclaim and sustained organizational success have been shown to demonstrate exemplary change leadership capabilities. However, while the constancy of change is an accepted reality and the pronouncements for effective change management are many, the track record of success in this regard is at best mixed. Leaders in contemporary business, social, and governmental organizations with their inherent complexities and challenges require a comprehensive understanding of the implications of change at the individual, team, and organizational level and approaches to address these challenges to fully realize planned outcomes. In particular, leaders who are sensitized to the human and organizational implications of change and when equipped with the strategies and tools to realize the benefits of change have been and will continue to be the leaders of choice and the catalysts for organizational success. Now, getting to your question, 
the major creators of tumult and change in our lives today fall into two broad categories, neither of which will come as a surprise. Technology and accelerating globalization. Let's call these macro or environmental factors influencing large-scale change. While neither of these are new, technological innovation and globalization have existed for centuries. The sheer complexity, comprehensiveness, and speed of change brought about by these phenomena are unprecedented. Let's for a minute talk about what's happening with technology. The advent of artificial intelligence is arguably the most significant event of our generation. While in many respects still in its infancy, the promise and peril that it offers are likely to append our lives in significant ways. Machines show human-like cognition, drive our cars, steal our privacy, improve productivity, interfere in our politics, make lives easier, erode our jobs, encourage corporate spies, and raise questions of ethics, law, regulation, and macroeconomics. While there's some ambivalence amongst analysts, there is still some certainty about the fact that there is going to be approximately over $100 billion in investment in this space. The world uh, generates, I think, 2.2 to 2.3 exabytes of data. That is 2.2 exabytes of data, again, every day, providing fertile ground for the AI journey. AI has shown its ability to disrupt and create value, and the world knows how, for example, e-commerce has totally disrupted brick and mortar. Auto industry is now becoming a tech industry. Technology behemoths are becoming health providers, or for now, at least the facilitators of health. In effect, AI's influence falls, in my opinion, into four broad areas. The first one is predictive analytics. Anticipating the future will be a key differentiator and competitive advantage. According to a McKinsey study in retail, for instance, forecasting errors are expected to be reduced by 30 to 50%, lost sales by 65%, transportation by 25 to 40%, and inventory reduction of 20 to 50%. A a good example of that is the national grid in the UK. It is collaborating with DeepMind, an AI uh, artificial intelligence startup bought by Google in 2014 to predict supply and demand variations based on weather variations and smart meters. The goal is to cut usage by 10 to 15%. The German online retailer Otto uses AI application that is 90% accurate in forecasting what the company will sell in the next 30 days. It orders 200,000 items a month without human intervention. Pretty amazing. AI can also be used by R&D departments to evaluate a prototype's success probability, particularly helpful in the pharma industry, which spends $160 billion annually on R&D in the US alone. The second area is I call create. AI can help significantly in creating efficiency while enhancing quality at the same time. A key to generating value in the service and production industries, for example, healthcare, education, power, etc. At a major online supermarket, AI-powered robots transport thousands of products through a complex process 
to human handlers, just in time to fill shopping bags, which are in turn sent to delivery trucks, whose drivers are guided to customer homes by an AI app that picks the best route. Mind-boggling. AI is beginning to make inroads into as-yet-untapped areas like education. At the University of Akron, grading software gave marks to 16,000 essays that instructors had already reviewed. The computers matched the teachers grading about 85% of the time. AI will also enable healthcare providers to dramatically accelerate the shift toward personalized preventive medicine. Clinicians will focus on managing patients' health remotely via wearable wireless sensors. To do this, AI will use medical histories and patients' genetic makeup, but also environmental factors that can influence health, such as pollution and noise. The third area, which is probably very close to your heart, Dan, is price and promotion. AI facilitates dynamic pricing based on time, season, competition, channel, etc. The airline, hotel, and perishable industries, as we know, have been using yield management programs to do this for years. But AI will allow us to do this for the rest of the marketplace as well. Vendors can send targeted messages to customers as they approach a store based on their unique demographic data. Intelligent price management depends on many factors. The day of the week, season, time, weather, channel, device, the competitor price, and much more. AI can determine price elasticity for every item and adjust prices according to the chosen product category. Retailers can then send coupons as you approach a store based on previous purchases, age, address, web browsing habits, and so on and so forth. I'm sure you've heard about quite a few of these. The last one is how artificial intelligence can help actually enhance the customer experience. AI creates an enhanced and user-elating and personalized experience. In healthcare, for example, because standardized treatments do not work given each person's history and unique medical characteristics, AI can customize treatments to each patient's need to enhance effectiveness. For example, an app called MindMaze uses AI to optimize rehabilitation for stroke patients. Ginger.io uses it to recommend the best time to take medication based on metabolism. Turbine uses AI to design personalized cancer treatment regimens. Deep learning could further enhance adaptive learning by using indicators such as facial expressions, digital interactions, group interactions, eye tracking through computer vision to gauge student engagement in education. iTalk to Learn is another app which is developing an open source intelligent tutoring platform to help primary school students in with math. So those are some very interesting developments in technology. And I can assure you that each one of those is going to either upend how business is done today or is going to enhance it in ways that we haven't even thought about. Now let's talk a bit about the second environmental or macro factor, globalization. We have all heard of the butterfly effect. Edward Lawrence, the father of chaos theory maintained, 
that a small change in one state of a system can result in large differences in a later state. Lorenz used the metaphor or analogy of the butterfly flapping its wings, having a delayed effect on another phenomena. It's a fitting example to understand the effects of actions that may seem remote or unconnected, but impact how we live and work. What we are experiencing with COVID today is a devastating example of the butterfly effect. Never before has the assertion that globalization impacts us in multifaceted ways has been validated in spades with the COVID virus. Change has always been an integral part of our lives. However, globalization has magnified the interconnectedness of the world, where a change in a remote geography could cause an effect in a different part of the world, which in turn results in strategic moves and operational shifts in industries and organizations. Technological innovations, geopolitical moves, social and demographic readjustments, economic trends, and the emergence of new industries in the environment, which at first glance may seem remote and unconnected to what we all do in a day's work, do in fact have a profound impact on our organizations and what we do each day. While the pandemic has brought home the impact of globalization in graphic terms, there are other less tumultuous actions or inactions on the global stage during normal times that have far-reaching consequences. For example, the introduction of electric cars, the pressure to unseat Maduro in Venezuela, the sanctions against the Iranian regime, China's national project to replace gasoline-powered automobiles with new electrical model, electric models as part of their Vision 2025, the pivot to electric vehicles by major U.S. manufacturers, the recent upheaval in OPEC, and the inability of Russia, Saudi Arabia, Mexico, and a few others to agree on production levels has resulted in an oil glut literally in the blink of an eye. Now, these global moves have a profound impact on the airline, auto, oil, gas, and transportation industries. And we are all aware of that. Those are impacts, those are immediate and primary. But they also significantly impact industries at the secondary and tertiary levels, ancillary suppliers to these industries, to consumer staples, white goods, and even mom and pop stores are impacted in many ways. The prominence of demographic diversity in the workplace, magnified by the Me Too movement, is another example of how quickly infectious a phenomenon can become. The changes wrought by the onset of COVID is the most devastating example of how globalization can totally change our worldview and our way of life in the blink of an eye. Now you asked, what are the implications of these changes within organizations? So let's take a look at the impact of the changes we discussed within our organizations. While a few organizations are agile and far-seated, far-sighted, sorry, and are already planning their strategy, others are likely to be blindsided in fairly short order. Reorganizations, strategic shifts, leadership changes, corporate relocations, and reconfiguring employment contracts and layoffs are some inevitable consequences that we are witnessing today. The emergence of the gig economy, for example, is resulting in changes in employment contracts, 
comp structures and the whole idea of organizational loyalty to the extent that even the government, with all its regulatory prowess, was caught flat-footed. They're still trying to figure out how to regulate this industry. The international nature of our businesses and the demographic diversity it entails has to adjust its policies and practices to adapt to the changing workplace. Work hours, cultural practices, etc., in remote places of the globe from which we were insulated a few years ago are currently an integral part of our discourse. The viral manner in which the Me Too movement spread in Britain, India, and other parts of the world has changed the office and social dynamic in profound ways. Individual employee activism on social and ecological issues are forcing organizations to rethink their policies and public stances. I'm sure, Dan, you've read about the new charter announced by the CEO Roundtable, where they expanded their focus to serve stakeholders beyond just shareholders, a pretty significant change in their stance. I believe that this is a direct result of a global awareness around corporate social responsibility. The purpose of my pointing this out to you today is to emphasize the fact that changes happen at warp speed and require us to manage that change effectively. A misstep could have irreversible consequences. On the other hand, each of these changes provides us an opportunity to gain an advantage and be leaders in our industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of ground covered there. Wow. Uh, and a lot to unpack there. But one of the things as as you were kind of walking through the, the, the change drivers, you were talking about implications. And it just struck me again that um, for as much as we want to talk about business process and, and business systems types of evolution, um, you know, advanced technologies, artificial intelligence, I mean, all of that and big investments being made there, there is still this thing called the human factor, VJ, that, uh, that just kind of weaves its way throughout that, right? It's just inextricably part of the DNA of organizations. It's really the human factor, which really kind of shifts over then to really talking about uh, in all of that with context, what does effective change leadership look like? Because at the end of the day, effective leadership, um, if we accept John Maxwell's definition that, that ultimately leadership is all about influence, Mm-hmm. There is that strong human factor um, there um, on top of all of the business process, the technology and, and the systems, right? Absolutely, uh, Dan. Uh, and I would say perfect segue. Um, uh, you know, Dan, when it, when it comes to leadership during uncertainty and change, and as you said, given the context that we just talked about, globalization, technology, et cetera, In my opinion, it it kind of falls into three broad categories. Uh, One is programmatic leadership of change. The second is people leadership during change. And finally, the conduct of the leader himself or herself during change. So, you know, when you're looking at change and the way it impacts us, sometimes it's initiated by organizations themselves because of, you know, their strategy, compelling reasons, competitive uh, competitive persuasion. Uh, sometimes 
It just happens to us. And, you know, it goes without saying that the most effective approach to lead change is when it is anticipated, planned for, and executed flawlessly. Many organizations spend enormous amounts of time in scenario planning, strategic planning, environmental scans, competitive intelligence, SWOT analyses, just to name a few. Some even are blessed with situations where the game actually plays out as planned. However, we all know that the best laid plans often do not evolve the way we want them to. Let's talk about the programmatic leadership component. Now, change will hit us when least expected and in unanticipated ways. A recognition that change does not send us a memo announcing its arrival and will cause tumult and disruption will serve us best. Now, Carter, arguably the last word on leading change, has written extensively on the components of effective change leadership. His eight-step model is inspiring. The architecture that he presented works both in reacting to unanticipated changes and when the change is proactively initiated by an organization. Broadly speaking, I mean, he, he talks about creating a sense of urgency or, you know, what we are familiar with, Dan, you and I, the burning platform, so to speak, yeah. Yeah. Uh, establishing coalitions of relevant stakeholders, lining up the right kind of resources, um, you know, drawing a compelling vision of the future state, engaging passionate team members in the process of implementing change, etc. Not, not going too much detail, I'm sure many of us have actually read those books and we know exactly what he talks about. But when we step back and evaluate our handling of the coronavirus assault on our lives, for example, we can quite easily identify some of our missteps. One can argue that we didn't create a burning platform we could have created a coalition of our allies and approached the problem in a coordinated fashion, engaged our citizens more earlier. However, this is not the only example of our failings. It's, an equ it's equally true when our captains of industry, or should I say tongue-in-cheek, so-called captains of our industry, attempt to lead change. One particular area that I'd like to highlight is our failure in general in the people leadership of change or during change. It's kind of what you were alluding to a few minutes earlier. Despite being aware of the components of effective change management, the failure rate of change effort gives us pause. It is fairly well documented that 70% of change efforts fail. 39% of the failures are a result of people's resistance to change. The importance of ensuring team members' mind share in change efforts is a known fact. Again, according to a McKinsey study of over 2,300 respondents, when people feel a sense of ownership and are actively engaged in driving change, the success rate of the effort is over 70%. Now, while this is common knowledge, there still exists a gap between the need for engaging the workforce and actuality. A very intriguing aspect of this phenomenon is the perception gap. The leader's own perception of their commitment to role modeling change, community, communicating change effectively is approximately 20 to 30 points higher than direct observers or those actually experiencing the change themselves. In effect, there's a large gap 
between leaders' own belief that they are leading change effectively than the belief of those who are directly impacted by the change. A very significant fact in all change research is the people variable, which constitutes the difference between success and failure. Despite these findings, the continued oversight in ensuring the engagement and active participation of team members in managing change is a puzzle. Leaders in organizations know this and yet fail to effectively address this gap. The mushroom is a classic metaphor that I like to use to highlight this phenomenon. Every organization says that people are their most important asset and yet do a suboptimal job of making them the engine of change, a role which they're eminently placed to play. Like the mushroom, the people of an organization are kept in the dark and often fed manure. The results of this oversight are well documented. In addition to the failure or less than effective realization of the goals and value streams outlined for the change initiative, the organization suffers from loss of productivity, the flight of intellectual capital, disguised underemployment, outright sabotage in some cases, and the adverse impact to the organization's brand. Another thought leader in change leadership William Bridges speaks to the difference between change and transition. Now, while change is an event, transition is the emotional reorientation that people go through to adjust to the change. The change itself takes very little time, but the emotional reorientation to the change takes much, much longer. We experience this phenomenon virtually each day in our social, professional, and family lives. In fact, almost all cultures have historically recognized the psychological reorientation needed in adjusting to the changes we encounter in our lives. Whether it be a wedding in the family or the unfortunate passing of a friend or family member, our cultures have built rituals since time immemorial to help us through these transitions. These are designed to get us used to the emotional upheavals and adjustments that are required to adapt to these changes. Now, while we likely recognize this at an intellectual level, we don't make allowances for it in executing change. When not accounted for, it results in resistance and suboptimal adoption of change. Another misplaced accusation is the oft-repeated excuse of people's resistance to change by leaders. This has become an alibi for change failure and or suboptimal results. The question I think we should ask ourselves is why is there skepticism or outright rejection or resistance to change? There, the reasons are quite a few. First, you know, change creates winners and losers. Winners are those who benefit from the change. And since some of their friends or colleagues don't benefit from the change, the winners feel guilty. And guilt is sometimes experienced by the managers who have to give the bad news to those who lose because of the change. I think a phenomenon that we are experiencing currently across the country, across the world, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Guilt can result in avoidance or blame. You know, for example, one person gets a promotion or gets to work on a prominent project during change or as a result of the change, while another team member does not. The second Team members who don't benefit from the change are likely to feel resentful, angry, and question the wisdom of the change idea. They could resort to sabotage. 
you know, you, Dan, you and I are very familiar with how unhappy employees often use Glassdoor, LinkedIn, etc., to provide harsh criticism of their company, their leadership, and which could in turn, by the way, impact hiring. There's so many Recently, more uh, channels today, Vijay, than, you know, you think back over the last 10 years and even 15 years and, you know, when those feelings emerge, you know, as you were just describing, now um, the, the challenge for leaders and organizations is the the channels and the voice of that dissatisfaction is just so much amplified, right? There's so many different ways. And so how do you, you know, also uh, react to that, right? So it's a kind of a, a shifting uh, a ball field, so to speak, right? In terms of how to manage Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, the the media that can be used by employees to uh, to discuss their disaffection for how an organization is treating them has become manifold. I mean, it's, you know, whether it's Facebook or like I said, I mean, it's, uh, and each one of those chips away at the brand's uh, health of the, the organization's health, uh, organization's brand health. It chips away at the ability of the organization to recruit people because it's all in the open now. You know, uh, I'm sure you read recently about the Tesla employee who changed the company's operating system code code and sent information to a competitor because he didn't get a promotion. You know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. The, the third is, you know, starting with the first rumors of a change. Some team members feel anxious that they could be impacted or if this changes, that's the beginning of more changes. This results in loss of motivation, wasted time in water cooler talk and reading dire meanings into benign situations. And change, you know, inevitably causes stress, increase in absenteeism, increased medical claims, nervous breakdowns. The, the U.S. Defense Services, for example, uses an instrument to measure the number of changes active duty members have gone through to gauge their stress level and determine deployments. Now, some of these actions or behaviors are the result of imagined, real, or anticipated losses that change inevitably brings. Again, I want to emphasize that losses are not necessarily the result of adversely impacting or negative changes. The actions I just outlined and the losses that we'll discuss now are as much a product of positive changes as they are of adversely impacting changes. Now, you know, change entails erosion, erosion and loss, losses of legacy, relationships, networks, loss of role, expertise, loss of trust, etc. Um, you know, I'll give you an example of, of a colleague of mine in, in, in the telecom industry who was a leader in technology. He was an IT leader. And when the change happened and it, the company was acquired by another organization, the only source of identity this employee had, this leader had, was that he was an IT leader. Now, what they did not recognize, did not want to know, or did not have the time to understand was that this person's resume was 50% IT, but was 50% marketing as well. Now, because of the narrow ways in which we look at evaluating people during change. His resume got forwarded only for the IT role. 
while they were waiting to fill 10 marketing jobs. And they did not even have visibility to the fact that he had experience in that space. So that's what I mean by loss of expertise. The other is legacy. You know, we all create legacies in organizations, big, small, large, different types of legacies that we have worked on. And when change happens, some of those legacies are dismantled and that creates a loss. Anyway, being sensitive and, you know, being sensitive and empathetic to the real and perceived losses they experience helps us address their concerns effectively. Close involvement with and observation of your people during change efforts provides valuable insights on the psychological state of your organization. Team members provide important clues through their behaviors and conversations. These are critical signals to observe and listen to. Easier said than done, though. Most often, we as leaders are uncomfortable with silence and listening and observing. We wrongly believe that leading change is all about talking and communicating. The evidence is to the contrary. Careful observation and sincere listening are far more powerful in helping teams than taking up all the oxygen by talking. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And I was thinking back to your analogy. Uh, you're talking about um, we're like a mushroom uh, growing in, in a dark room. And uh, I was thinking a little bit about um, in change environments, high change environments, uncertainty and confusion certainly are natural outcomes. And so the question becomes, how can we as leaders help navigate out of the dark room uh, and bring the teams into the light, right? And and address that uncertainty and confusion. Are there some some quick suggestions in terms of how to navigate through uh, the, some of those challenges? Great question. Um, yeah, I mean, uncertainty, lack of clarity, confusion are an inevitable part of change. What we are experiencing today, for example, again, I, you can't help but discuss what's going on <laughs> with our lives these days. Um, it, it's kind of such an overimposing, overwhelming experience that we are all going through uh, and presents such a, uh, such a tremendous example of uh, what change can what change can rot on people is uh, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, so like I said, you know, the, the coronavirus crisis is testimony to this fact. This phenomenon is equally present during organizational change in the normal course where team members struggle with a lack of clarity that precedes the new order of things. For example, during a merger or acquisition, Team members often wonder about new roles, roles, organization structures, policies, and how it's likely to impact them in their work. In almost all cases, it also results in paralysis because they don't want to make mistakes. People avoid making decisions. While uncertainty and lack of clarity is a dominant characteristic of this phase, effective leadership during this time can in fact promote innovation and engagement. When you have an absence of established rules, traditions, policies, regulations, and so on and so forth, effective leadership can leverage that. In fact, we are seeing some of it today. Established policies and regulations are being re-examined or overhauled. 
people are demonstrating creativity in novel ways. The governor, the governor of New York, for example, passed a regulation yesterday, I believe, allowing doctors licensed in other states to practice in New York, which was not the case for many, many decades. Apple and Google are coming together to launch an app for COVID tracing. Hackathons to come up with solutions for medical equipment across countries and to address medical equipment shortages is becoming the norm. People are making masks at home and ventilators are being rejigged to accommodate two patients. People are actually building romantic relationships with chatbots. And for people who are unfortunately dying because of this dreaded disease, they are able to use technology to actually help with the situation where they can interact with their dear ones, at least through FaceTime. So the point here is coordinated innovation during uncertainty leverages human ingenuity in incredible ways. Shotgun innovation, on the other hand, results in wasted resources. So the moral of the story here is uncertainty is a given. It is a fact. And that happens whether it's a small change, a medium change, or a large change, or a global change like the one that we are experiencing today. Establishing structures during this time to promote innovation and processes to garner, evaluate, and implement these creative ideas can pay rich dividends. On the other hand, uncoordinated innovation efforts will result in duplication, waste of resources, and disappointment. In summary, what I'm, what I'm trying to say here, Dan, is that uncertainty creates opportunity. Yep. So while we might, yeah, you know, while we might look at only the darker side of it, we forget that uncertainty and the lack of, or let's say the relative absence of established rules and regulations actually gives rise to creativity as well. And how do we, how do we leverage that? That that's absolutely right. You know, on a, on a recent podcast, Don Proctor and I were talking about this concept of disruption and mm -hmm. uh, we actually talked some examples uh, in history where some of the greatest innovation has resulted in highly disruptive times and and the mm -hmm. the, the motivational impact um, that sense of urgency uh, crisis uh, can in fact produce tremendously innovative outcomes and so exactly what you were just talking about and, and we're in the time here and I think there's a lot of hope and optimism that with bright minds around the world, um, from a health perspective, medical perspective, that there could be some breakthroughs, innovative breakthroughs, certainly um, around the COVID crisis, but also um, some of the learning that's going to happen in terms of the way businesses engage both their employees, but also their customers, uh, that there'll be some innovation there as well. So it, it, it truly is a time of opportunity if we kind of think through all of that. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And, you know, I don't know who invented the phrase uh, necessity is the mother of invention, but, you know, uh, I, I think uh, we can we can say, put a slightly different twist on it and say uncertainty is a mother of invention as well. So, yeah. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about uh, the change dynamic, uh, what leadership opportunities exist within times of great change and something we often talk about when we are thinking about leadership is effective communication. So as a leader in a, in a change environment, 
the importance of effective communication. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? You know, virtually, Dan, every case study on change, success, or failure, and all research by leading edge organizations to academic institutions have highlighted the criticality of communication. Communicating care and concern, recognizing the challenges that team members face during change, managers have the responsibility of both communicating what's going on with change, but also the concern of the organization for their well-being. Silence could result in feelings of isolation and being neglected. This implies, again, listening to people's concerns and demonstrating empathy and understanding. In terms of, you know, how do you translate that into action? It sounds like a platitude. Individual people managers, supervisors, who spend time with their team members listening to their concerns and communicating what they know makes a huge difference. You do have more formalized communications, and we'll talk about that in a second. But there is nothing that can supplant the value of individual leaders at all levels in an organization, sitting down with their employees, even when they do not have answers, to communicate what they know or what they don't know at that point in time, and demonstrating empathy. The, the, the other one is where I'm going to rely again on Bill Bridges. I, I think he articulated beautifully, uh, and I can improve on it. He calls it the four Ps. While we have a detailed communication plan that specifies the audience, the ideal medium for each audience, timing, frequency, and the content, these are imperative. The content of the communication should reiterate four key aspects at every turn. The first is the purpose. Why are we doing what we are doing? Most of the time, leaders tend to have discussions within the confines of the conference room and decide on a course of action, but do not really take the time to explain to those who are supposed to implement or experience the change to why something is being done. So it is critical that we explain the purpose. Why are we doing what we are doing? The second P is the picture. Once this change has been implemented, what will the end state look like? What are the implications of that for each person? And how is that, in most cases, the explanation by leaders would be, how is that going to enhance the quality of their roles, quality of their experiences as members of that organization? The third is the process, the third P, process. I would say this is arguably the most critical one because in times of uncertainty, in times of ambiguity, when there is an erosion of existing rules, existing policies, and so on and so forth, it is very easy for employees to indulge in chaos. And the sanctity of the process at this time becomes their hand, their handrail. So how do you articulate very clearly the process that the organization is going to follow from going from point A to point B, which is achieving the purpose that they outlined? And the fourth P is the part that they play. Clearly articulating and emphasizing 
the role that they have to play in implementing and executing the change is absolutely imperative. So again, in summary, the four Ps, why are we doing what we're doing? What will the end state look like once we're done? What is the process that we are going to go through between now and the time we achieve the purpose? What are the steps being taken? And the fourth, the part, what role do we expect you as team members in the organization to play during this effort? Yeah, it, it makes so much sense. It seems so straightforward and that you and I both know and we've experienced real times where those four Ps uh, don't magically just kind of come together, right? And, and maybe you've got two and a half Ps <laughs> or you have yeah. other, other things happening or it's not consistently understood across the leadership in an organization. So it's a it's a very um, challenging dynamic, right, to um, get clarity. But I guess that's where it comes back to strong organizations at a leadership level that can set a, a good framework where everyone buys in uh, mm -hmm. and, and understands that that dimension of the four Ps. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, it's probably a very simple framework. Uh, but I, I think it makes such a lot of sense yeah. uh, that yeah. you know some of the great so, some of the great change experiences that I've been through uh, essentially emphasized these four things, and it it made a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, and I think especially today with so many organizations that uh, have established remote uh, working uh, processes, right, out of necessity. Um, yep. And so you don't have cohabitation. So it really that art of effectively communicating in a consistent fashion with a sense of common purpose becomes even more important when people are using different uh, means of communicating. It's not there's not as much room for the impromptu. Um, and so uh, it, it just adds a whole nother uh, element to that. Absolutely. Yep. Kind of. Agree yeah, with yeah. Yeah. So. As we come down the home stretch of our conversation, VJ, you know, when we think about leadership during times of great change, it's important. Um, and I mentioned a human factor. Well, if we turn that human factor back to the leaders themselves, mm -hmm. I mean, they're people, they are humans, right? And they're making critical decisions. They have a lot of responsibility on their shoulders, and they certainly aren't immune to the stress that can happen in a change environment. Any thoughts on how the leaders themselves can deal with that, that human stress uh, that they undoubtedly are going to take on? Yeah, I think the owner's responsibility that the leader carries, or leaders, by the way, and I don't necessarily mean just C-suite leaders or people at senior levels in the organization, it could be the humble people supervisor or manager. I mean, they all have a role to play in this. And all of them go through, as you pointed out, the stresses of change. So there are some simple thoughts that I have as I've seen some of them, some of the leaders that I work with navigate this so much more effectively than others. Uh, and some of the things I've seen them do are reflection, self-care, and leveraging their talent could make the difference between making history or becoming history. Key points to remember are understanding your long-term goals, which provides a perspective 
that rises above short-term setbacks. Because during change, you could experience short-term setbacks. A project is taken away from you. Your role could be, you know, parts of it could be subtracted, could be given some to somebody else. You could be demoted. You could lose compensation. So uh, I, I think it's always important to keep, keep the long-term goal in mind because that can help us overcome short-term setbacks. Identifying your sphere of influence and making a difference in that sphere is key to maintaining self-esteem when things seem out of control. Understanding that you cannot boil the ocean or solve world hunger is critical. Again, depending on where you are in the hierarchy in an organization, you have only so much influence. You can expand it a little bit. You can negotiate an expansion. But understanding what the boundaries are and making sure that you're able to maximize your input within those boundaries becomes absolutely critical. Practicing self-care through healthful practices like meditation, exercise, and seeking support from family and friends is essential to maintaining emotional balance. And lastly, having a clear idea of your strengths, identifying opportunities to apply those strengths, and contributing to change initiatives will position you well for the future. So while all this change is going on, it would only be pragmatic of you to be also thinking about what your role is going to be in the new order of things. And that is where I think uh, a critical assessment of your own capabilities and finding specific opportunities to play a consequential role in change-related projects will position you well for the future. Most definitely. And, and what I was taking from that is really it's this sense of finding wellness, I mean, through the process or achieving wellness, which has really got both a mental and a physical aspect and, and the opportunity for leaders um, from in managers um, and actually, you know, project leaders that may be individual contributors on up to the senior executives all have that opportunity to kind of take that responsibility to how to achieve a good balance in terms of that mental and that physical wellness. Yeah, yeah. I, I would probably add just one little thing to that. Uh, you can call it, you know, the, like you said, the uh, emotional as well as the physical fitness. The third component in change also is the professional readiness uh, to be to play a consequential role in the future state of the organization. So, you know, you, you got to be able to nurture all three, but the first two are very critical because the third one becomes meaningless unless you have the first two. Yeah, makes total sense. So, BJ, we covered a tremendous amount of ground. Uh, here a lot to to consider and to take in. Do you have any final thoughts for leaders that are really thinking about how they can elevate their level of influence and impact positively to the organization? Um, probably just one additional thing, Dan, and that um, has to do with uh, you know I, I I'm a measurement fanatic. That there's nothing that cannot be measured. Obviously, we measure a lot of things which are inconsequential and we forget to measure a lot of things that are consequential. But having said that, change efforts also can be measured. Um, having clear measures or a, uh, measures or a dashboard for the change initiative and equally important for the transition plan 
before, during, and after the conclusion of the initiative provides an effective roadmap for action. In addition, it is a sound source for corrective actions for future change initiatives. Typically, measures fall into three broad categories. First, of course, is business outcomes. Did the change effort achieve the business results intended? Revenue, product launch, market share, cost containment, whatever that might be. The second is people processes. Did the communication process work during the change? Did the key people-related processes, were they effective during change? The layoff process, how did that work? How did the relocation process work? I mean, these are all people processes, and uh, typically some of them tend to fall through the cracks during change. So have they worked the, the way it was they were intended to work? And lastly, people outcomes, retention of high performers, innovation, productivity, change adoption. These are some critical variables that can be measured to see how, you, how well you manage change. If you lose a lot of high performers, if innovation dropped, if your productivity declined and the change adoption you know, was minim minimal or suboptimal, then you know that you haven't done a good job. So I think measuring it and making sure that you have that as a roadmap for the future is a very important variable in change management. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And I'm really glad you brought up measurement because having been in a lot of change initiatives, I think what happens is sometimes the the focus becomes on the front end. It's like, how do we get our, our messaging um, right? And do we get alignment around that in terms of explaining the change? And so a lot of that effort comes into getting the essence of the message, getting the communication, the processes, many of the other steps you talked about. But then I've seen where the organization becomes so fatigued, there's so much work packed into the front end that they go out and they execute and then they take a deep exhale, and then they're so anxious, right? The natural uh, tendency to want to move on, right? Let's move on. Let's get out of this. And then there isn't always that deeper attention to, okay, well, did we set up the right measurements to be able to see how uh, successful we were or that we achieved what we thought we could achieve? Yep. And, and, did, and, and how did we learn from that experience so that the next time around, we don't make the same mistakes? Yeah, yeah. Well... BJ, very timely uh, conversation in light of everything that's going on in the world and what businesses and leaders face today. Thank you again for sharing your views and your insights on Market Impact Insights today. Thanks a lot, Dan. Appreciate it. And a reminder to everyone to please remember to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.